0: We'll go ahead and open up with prayer um, tonight, so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day that we've had together to to fellowship with one another, to to share with one another, to worship together. Father, we uh, do come now and we We pray for those that we've mentioned this morning, Um, so many that uh, have COVID and and are dealing with that. Lord, we pray that you would heal their bodies, Father, and be with them during this time. Um, We do pray, Father, that as we come tonight to look at your word, um, God, that you would teach us. through your word and by your spirit, um, Father, that we might learn, and we might grow, and that you might sanctify us in truth. And so, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight, please open with me to Colossians chapter 3. we We're be looking at Colossians chapter 3. And so, the past couple of summers, we've gone to to Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters in North Carolina in the summer for a week for youth camp. And um, it it turns out one of uh, the gentlemen there that that does a lot of the teaching um, had put together a study through the book of Colossians. And so, that's what we've been using on Sunday evenings with the youth, going through and walking through this book together and and studying through it. um, we've seen a lot of things that Paul has to say to this church and the instructions he has for them. And the last few times we met together, uh, we've talked a lot about what the uh, believers at the Colossian church are not to do, right? He's given a lot of kind of negative commands. So um, he goes through and he tells them, do not let anyone fool you through philosophy. And empty deceit. So, you know, there there were a lot of physical, a lot of philosophical ideas going on. There's a lot of them out there right now. A lot of them uh, sound really good. A lot of them sound right in some cases. But they're not in accordance with Scripture. And so there Paul is saying, don't be fooled by these things. Um, He says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Again, in chapter 2. And and Paul here, he's addressing this particular group of false teachers that had come into the Colossian church. And it appears that what they were teaching um, was that you're not a Christian if you don't obey all the Old Testament ceremonial law. Right? So the, the the washings. Um, ritual washings and food that you can't eat and food that you can't eat and, and all of those things the, the ceremonial law that was given to Old Testament Israel um, you had to be um, in in obedience to all of those things in order to be a Christian and uh, Paul saying here don't believe those things um, he goes on he also says let no one disqualify you. Again, or um, another way to say this is don't let them rob you of the joy of being a believer, of being a Christian. And this is actually, this in in verse 18 of chapter 2 is directed towards a different set of false teachers that have made it into uh, the church there. And they were teaching um, something different. They were teaching that you had to do all this extra biblical kind of stuff. Um, Things like, it mentions asceticism. And one form of this would be to take rods or to take a whip or something like that and to beat yourself, to physically beat yourself because of your sin. And the idea is, if I can physically harm myself enough and beat myself enough, um, as punishment for my sin, then God will forgive me for that sin. That was kind of the, the idea behind it. So things like that, things like um, it mentions worshiping angels. Um, it mentions visions. So they talked a lot about these visions they would have. Kind of this, a lot of these mystical things they were adding on top of the gospel. And Paul's saying, don't let them teach you these things. These things are not true. And so in, in a whole, it kind of in sum here, what he's saying is don't let these false teachers come in and teach you a bunch of garbage that's not true. And so after we've worked our way through that in chapter 2, then the next question that obviously that comes is, well, if we're not supposed to do those things, then what are we supposed to do? What are, what's the positive Side of it, and that's it's a very valid question. It's one that Paul's going to answer here in chapter 3. So, look with me at uh, in chapter 3, at verses 1 through 4. There, Paul writes, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. In God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let's kind of walk through these verses. First of all, the, the very beginning of verse one can be a little misleading for us when we're reading um, in English, and and because of the way we normally use the word if. Um, we a lot of times we use the word if for something that we don't know the outcome of, right? Either you know if you know we win the game tomorrow night it means we could win the game or we could lose the game, right? We don't know the outcome of it, but that in it with the way the the Greek language works and, and stuff like that, that's not actually what's um, what's going on here is. It's actually more like the word, we could replace it with since or because. Okay, So since you have been raised or because you've been raised. There's no doubt here about what Paul is saying. This is true. You you believers have been raised. And so, um, and he says, since you have been raised. and, And what he's saying is here, when we believe in Jesus, we spiritually die to our sin. We die to our old self. Right? It means that sin no longer rules over us. We're not enslaved to it. Right? We can choose not to sin. Our, our sin at our core doesn't define who we are. doesn't control us anymore the way that it did. Um. We're no longer powerless to do anything about this sin. And because we have spiritually died to sin and, and to our old self, we're spiritually raised to a new life with Jesus. Meaning that all of those sins, though, all of those things that sin used to be to us, Jesus now is. So he is now master over us. We are now slaves to Him instead of sin, like we were before. He rules our lives instead of sin. We're defined by our our spiritual union together with Him, with Christ. Uh, Paul speaks this way about himself in the New Testament. One example of this is Galatians 2.20 where he writes, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when you look at, in your Bibles, um, when you look at chapter 3 and, and verse 1, when you see it saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, here's another way of what Paul is, is saying and how he's introducing these verses. He's basically saying, since... It is true, it is spiritually true that you have died to your sin and your old self. And you've been united together with Jesus. That is absolutely true where he now defines and he rules your life. And since that is true, now you need to actually live like it. And that's the point that he's making through these verses. So we've got all these wonderful, deep, rich these beautiful doctrinal truths here in Colossians, especially chapter 1, where it talks about Christ in, in verse 15, starting in 15, somewhere around there, and it, and it goes through and all these incredible things that it teaches. But we can't just leave these doctrinal truths out there by themselves, right? We can't just know them in our minds. We have to embody them and live in ways that are consistent with them and to show that we, in fact, do Believe them, And so um, Paul is here going to, he's going to go on, he's going to begin to tell us how to live out these doctrinal truths in our lives. And in these verses, we're going to see uh, two verbs, going to see two imperatives, seek and set your mind, or, or two commands we're going to see in these verses that we are to obey. And so the first one um, that we see is seek. Seek. This word, basically this word means that you give everything that you have in order to get what you want. In in other words, you're going to spend your time, your energy, your thoughts, your actions, you're pouring everything you've got into this thing in order to get it. And why are you going to do that? Because you desire it so much. Your heart is passionate about it so much. Um, kind of as an example, you know, we just began a new year. And with the new year, a lot of people, what's the thing that they want to do? Yep, lose weight, right? And that one of the, one of the main ones is we're going <clears> to <throat> be healthier, going to lose weight. And so what do they do? They pay hard-earned money, go to a gym, they wake up early, they eat a specific diet, they run, they lift. Um, why? Because they're seeking to lose weight. right? They're, they're, they're pouring everything that they have into this, this one goal. right? They, they've completely changed their schedule and their lifestyle and their choices to, to accomplish this one thing. And Paul's saying here that is exactly the way that we should spiritually approach living our Christian lives. We pour everything that we have into seeking the things that are above. Um, if you remember, Jesus talked about this also, framed it a little different, but talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And, and this is how he said it Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when we see Paul here in Colossians, talk about things that are above, we see Jesus and Matthew talking about treasures in heaven, we need to know. What these things are. How can we identify what this is? What, what is he talking about when he says this? And there, there's a few things I think we can look at. Um, first of all, there are going to be things that are eternal. Things that are of eternal value. Of eternal weight. That, that have eternal meaning to them. Things that are Pure. Perfectly pure. There's no sin involved in them. There's no no greed, no selfishness, no lust. Um, They are pure. And they're going to be things that are focused on Jesus, that are are focused on bringing attention to Jesus, that make Jesus look beautiful and desirable and, and worth an infinite value compared to anything else. And so these are the things that we are to set our minds on, that we are to seek after in our Christian life. And it, it kind of causes us to stop and think and examine our lives and our, our minds and our hearts and to ask in what ways are we actively seeking the things that are above. Or another way to ask the question is, is what, what are things that we do and what are things that we love and what are things that we desire that are eternal, that are pure, that, that put the focus on Jesus? And as I was reading through this and, and looking at it, it really reminded me of a quote from a poem written by the missionary um, C.T. Studd, and he was a stud. If you go and read his biographical stuff, man, you want to talk about a guy, you know, Paul wrote, um, don't consider my life precious to myself or of any value to myself, but given all I have for Jesus, that CT stud did exactly that, but um, he also didn't mince words when he looked at the average Christian around him in his day either. He, He caught it like it was, and so, but in this poem, he writes this verse. Only one life, which will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And so, everything else that we get so invested in and put so much time and energy and effort into will we be gone. 10,000 years from now, nobody's going to wonder about who won the game yesterday or, or talk about anything like that. Um... Doesn't matter. They're all fleeting. Only what is done for Christ will last. And, and um, there's so many things that aren't eternal or pure, or things that don't put the focus on Jesus. And we need to repent of when we get so caught up in that, and we need to seek the things that are above. And so uh, Scripture commands we seek the things that are above. Now look with me at Colossians 3 in verse 2. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And so um, this verb, to set your mind on something, means uh, to dwell on it, right? To, to be consumed with it in your mind, for it to be what you think about when you go to bed and, and when you wake up, for it to dominate your thoughts, to be at the forefront of your mind all the time. But when we come to the New Testament and we look at what it says about our minds, it's very interesting uh, the way that that it talks about this, that it speaks of our minds. And it says, we we come and we look at verses like uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. It says we have the mind of Christ. We have it as believers. We have the mind of Christ. It's present, active, indicative. It's a statement of fact. We currently possess this as believers. At the same time, we read things like Philippians 2, verse 5, where we read, have this mind in yourselves. So this is an imperative. This is a command. You are to have the mind of Christ. So it's, at the same time, it's, that, it's this idea that there's a, a spiritual doctrinal truth that is real in First Corinthians 2. However, we also have to seek to live out that truth in our lives as we're commanded to do so in Philippians 2. It's an incredible thing to see uh, the way that these two things kind of work together. And in verse 3, again here, Paul, in our text tonight, he writes, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Word four there is very important. So in verse 3, here we have the reason and the purpose and the motivation behind carrying out the command that was given in verse 2. So verse 2 is what we are to do. Verse 3, then, is why we are to do it. So again, we're kind of back to what we talked about earlier. As believers who are born again, we have died to ourselves and our sin and our flesh. Therefore, it no longer rules over us or defines us or controls us. And so then as as Paul writes in Romans 6, he says, how can you, who have died to sin, then still live in it? We we have to live in ways that are consistent with who we truly are. And that's the point Paul's making in these verses. Then he writes at the end of verse three: "Your life is hidden with Christ in God." What an incredible statement this is! Because of our union. Together with the person of Christ, we are hidden in Him. Therefore, God then thinks of or God considers all of the actions of Christ as being our actions. And all of the rewards of Christ are considered to be our rewards. His perfectly obedient life is seen by God as being our perfectly obedient life. His death is seen as being our death. His resurrection is seen as being our resurrection. And so what he did and what he accomplished for us is now considered by God to be ours. And therefore we're acceptable to God because we are hidden in Christ. So, as justified believers, in the mind of God, as He thinks about it and as He sees us, we are perfectly righteous because of the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. It's considered to be ours. We're perfect because Christ's perfection is considered by God to be ours. We're completely pure because Christ's perfect purity is seen to be Ours. We're holy because His perfect holiness is imputed to us, considered by God to be our holiness. And yet, at the same time, we know that that's not true of us, don't we? On a day-to-day basis, as we live out our lives, we're not actually perfectly holy. We're not actually perfectly pure. And so therefore, with all that we are, we seek to strive and to fight against our sin in our hearts, in our minds, in our attitudes, in our actions, to be more like Christ. We fight day after day to become actually in our day-to-day lives who God sees and considers us to be as hidden in Christ. And that's the, the great point that Paul's making in these verses. This is true of us spiritually. Therefore, live this actually in your life. And so look with me then in verse 4. Paul writes, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, this idea that we're not our own. Our lives are now united to and hidden in Christ. So much so that Paul can say that Christ is our life. And if he is our life, then we should live as though that were true because it is. And furthermore, in this verse, we have this promise that we will appear with him in glory. So the idea here is that what is now hidden with Christ will when he returns be brought out into the open and made a reality. The, the way that God sees us hidden in Christ now when we're glorified will be made actual in us and will be with him and will be like him. And, and this is the promise that we see in 1 John 3. <clears throat> where it says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And that's the day that we long for. And, and that is the desire of our hearts. Is to be actually holy as He is holy, to to be with Him forever. And it's that glorified state that we we constantly pursue now in in obedience to Him and sanctification, knowing that one day, one day it will be a reality. It's a glorious promise that we see from Paul here in Colossians 3. So uh, let's close tonight in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for the, the theological truths we read in this passage and, and what an incredible the gifts we have been given in Him, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1. And, um, Father, we do pray that it would be the desire of our hearts and our minds to seek that which is above, and to set our minds on those things that are above. Lord, help us this week as we go to be obedient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.